Well, it's great, great to see you. Great to have visitors amongst us. And we're continuing with our series, as James said, Discover Life in uh, where we are here in Beckles. Discover Life. Life Church Beckles. Well, last week, James has already given a summary, but this is essentially what uh, James was talking about last week. This is our, if you like, our aim, our aims reaching out into the future to make disciples of Jesus who live, learn, and love, who live together in friendship, as family, who learn to be like Jesus, to live like Jesus, and to love, worship, and serve God, and love Beckles and beyond in witness. In a sense, there's nothing new there. Not really. It's, it's, it's what we're about. And yet, I believe God wants to refresh that and, and burn that new, if you like, upon us. Just one, just one thing. We're talking about making disciples. Um, actually, the word disciple is used in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And you won't find it in the Bible again after that. Which is interesting, isn't it? Jesus told us to go and make disciples. And when we become disciples, we also become lots of other things. We become a child of God. We sung about that this morning. We become brothers and sisters in Christ. We become members of the body of Christ. All sorts of things that we become. And that all stems from making disciples. So that's, that's where we were last week, and I hope that gives you a reminder. James has also spoken this morning about the, um, from everywhere, one to everywhere, spells the word fate. F-E-T-E, not F-A-T-E, if you, if you look at that. And, you know, wouldn't it be great if the vision that our stream of churches have in this area is fulfilled? Now, just think about it. 20 new churches, 20 churches committed to word and spirit, reaching out into the towns and villages of this area. Wouldn't that be amazing? You know, when, when you look at the church around, the church, not just us, the church, there's a lot of negative news around. It's not doing that well, really. So wouldn't it be great to see 20 new word and spirit churches reaching out for Jesus? Wouldn't it be? So how are churches planted? Jesus never told us to go and plant churches. He didn't. He told us to go and make disciples. And that's how churches are planted. That's what Paul did. Paul went into a city with, with his companions, with his team, and Paul probably first reached out to the Jews in that area, to the God-fearers, and gradually people began to commit themselves to Jesus. They became disciples, and as there was a group of disciples, what came out? 
a church. That's the way it is. It's all about making disciples. But then the question is, what is a disciple? I don't know how you feel in church life. I often feel this, that we can, we can say lots of words and we can talk with each other and we say, yes, yes, yes. And then you can go away and say, what actually did they mean by that? You know, we can use words and not actually think, what do we mean by those words? So what's a disciple? What is a disciple? Well, here's a secular dictionary definition. I think it's pretty weak, really. Someone who receives instruction from another, a sort of follower. Well, I think a, I think a disciple of Jesus is going to be a bit more than that. William Barclay tells a story, I read this some time ago, and it's, it's, it's a story where no names are given in order to protect the innocent, you know? <laughs> that sort of thing. Well, he tells the story of how he was talking to uh, a young guy, and this guy was saying, Ah, oh, I went to Professor so-and-so, I studied under him at university, I went to his lectures, I got all his notes... And I was in every, every lecture and I attended the seminars, etc., etc. And, oh, it was such a privilege to sit under him. It was such a privilege to hear him teach. It was such a privilege to draw on his expertise and his learning. And this guy was going on and on and on about this wonderful university professor that he'd sat under. Not long afterwards, William Barclay met the professor the one that this guy was talking about. And he mentioned his name to the professor, the lecturer, who uh, looked a bit puzzled for a minute and said, hmm, I remember the guy. Hmm. Yeah, he did attend my lectures, but he wasn't my student. He did attend my lectures, but he wasn't my student. In other words, he didn't really pick up from me not only what I taught, but my approach, my understanding, the way of doing things. You know, that, that story gets me thinking. Is it possible that we can actually listen to Jesus but not be his disciple I'm not talking about salvation here we're talking about just knowing Jesus Ooh. so if we want to know what a disciple is who's the best person to talk, turn to Jesus let's see what he says Mark chapter 3 verses 3, 13 to 19 Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. They came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles. I put that in purple because if you've got an older version of the NIV, that will be in. If you've got a younger version of the NIV, it won't be there. Why? Because it's not in the best manuscripts. 
And it's the sort of thing that someone who was copying thought, hmm, I better just explain this a little bit more and put it in. So we'll leave it out. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So what do we learn about making disciples, being a disciple from this. Now, in Jesus' day, there were, there were rabbis that went around teaching. So in that sense, Jesus was not unusual. It wasn't as if people looked at Jesus and thought, this is a strange thing to do. No, it wasn't. There were others that were going around doing similar sort of things to Jesus. So when Jesus uh, came on the scene, they'd say, oh, here's another rabbi, another teacher. But the thing is, for all the others, you would, you would think to yourself, I'm sorry, ladies, I think this is probably mostly men, but that was the culture, but you'd, you know, that's applied to us all. They, people would think, oh, I like that rabbi. I think I'll attach myself to him. Or someone else would think, oh, I like this rabbi. I'll attach myself to him. So it was a case of their choice. But Jesus was radically different. He called people to be with him. That was different. Normally in those days, you chose your rabbi. You decided to stay with him. You decided you'd sit under his teaching. But not with Jesus. He called people to him. Now that was radically different. And in fact, in the passage that we read, the word call is almost a bit too weak. It's like a summons. I don't know if you've ever had a summons to a court, but that is not something you're going to ignore. <laughs> because if you're summoned... You've got to go. No right. <laughs> You've got to go. And that's the strength of Jesus' call. He calls and he says, you, you've got to go. Because that call has such power and authority. You know, think of, think of, of um, Simon and Andrew, James and John. There they are. They're mending their nets, they're doing what fishermen do, and Jesus then calls them. 
What do they do? Hang on a minute, Gov, we've just got to finish this and do that. They, they, they don't do that. They drop their nets. They drop what they're doing. That call had power to summon them. Now, I don't believe Jesus called them to abandon their families and, and everything else. And actually, if you read on in the Gospels, you see that did not happen. But at that moment, there was power in the call of Jesus to them. There's Matthew collecting taxes. Matthew, who would be despised by a lot of people. And Jesus walks past and says, come on. And he gets up and follows him. There's, there's power in that call. And, and in our passage too, it says that Jesus called to them those whom he wanted. But even that's too weak. It's, it's, it's almost Jesus willed that person to come to him. In other words, he had a plan, he had a purpose. He had something for them. So there's security in that. Now, you may think, but haven't I got free will in all of this? I don't want to get into all of that this morning, really. But let's let's put it in the way that I think C.H. Spurgeon put it. There's, There's my free will here, like one pillar of an arch, and there's God's call on the other arch, and you know that it meets somewhere at the top, but it's hidden by clouds. I can't work it out. But I know this, I do know this, that Jesus said that, and that gives me security, and that gives you security. As a disciple of Jesus, you did not choose me, choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. There you are. That's the two elements. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Let's not get lost in theological twists and turns, but let's rejoice in the security that that gives you and me. You're safe as a disciple of Jesus. So there's the call. So making disciples of Jesus, that's first of all recognising the call. We, We have that confidence that when someone commits their life to Jesus and says, Jesus, thank you that you died for me on the cross. Thank you that you took upon yourself all my sin, my wrong, my, my wrongdoing, my, my shame, my fear. You took that upon yourself and now you're alive and I can follow you. When somebody makes that commitment, we can be sure. We can be sure that they are secure in him. Secondly, notice this. In our passage, Jesus called the twelve to him. First reason, if you like, but it's our point too. Why? To be with him. Now, going back to Jesus' day, if you decided that you wanted to follow rabbi, follow teacher X, then you attached yourself to him And he said, ah, yeah, come and join my band. I'm happy to have you on board. 
you know, that's fine. What was the purpose? So that you learnt enough so that eventually you would separate yourself from him and become a teacher yourself. It was not a permanent relationship. I mean, it's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit like any sort of learning situation now, isn't it? Your kids go to school and they start off in year R, but they don't stay in year R. They leave that teacher and go to year one, etc., etc. And that was true then. You became a disciple of rabbi whoever, but so that eventually you would separate yourself off from him. Not so with Jesus. This is a permanent, lasting relationship. It doesn't end. It's totally different to the idea that existed then. It's permanent. It's secure. So his first call is that you are with him. Why? To learn from him to understand him, pick up his ways. Before we do anything, we are called to be with him. That's grace, really. That knocks earning your place in heaven by doing on the head. You're called to be with Jesus. He loves you so much. He loves you so much that he he gave himself for you. And therefore he wants your company. He wants your friendship. He wants your fellowship. He wants that sharing together. To be with Jesus. That's our first calling. To be in your presence. To sit at your feet. With your love around me. That's our calling. To be with him. Before you do anything, before anything that we can call ministry or anything like that, that's the first call. To be with Jesus. So, when we talk about making disciples, who's the focus? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Making disciples means pointing people to Jesus. Making disciples means encouraging people to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus through the Word, to talk with Jesus to hear from Jesus. That's being a disciple. It's getting to know him for yourself. You don't need anybody to stand between you and Jesus. You can go straight there and then he takes you to God. That's the first thing of discipleship. But... We read then, Jesus called the twelve, first of all, so that they should be with him, and then he would send them out to preach. Now, this is, this is a permanent relationship. 
we never go out, or the disciple never goes out independently of Jesus. Think about it. This is what happened. Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the twelve. And what happens at the end, they come hurrying back to him and tell him all, all that happened. It's not a detachment, it's coming back to him the whole time. The 72 in Luke, Luke chapter 10, what happens? They, he sends them out and they, they come back, are absolutely thrilled to bits. And they say, Jesus, even the demons submitted to us. Wow! And he says, actually, more important is that your name is written in heaven. He gives them a lesson on security. Our security does not depend on what happens here, but on what he's done for us. And then at the end of Matthew, what's called the Great Commission, what does Jesus say? He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to do all that I've commanded you. And look, I'm with you. And that's the same thing. As we actually and eventually do things that Jesus has asked us to do, we don't do it alone. We do it with him. You don't see them on many farms these days, do you? Not really. That's two oxen yoked together. There's a story, and this must be an old, old story, but it's one that I read recently, that uh, someone was visiting an old farmer. And farm, the farmer was ploughing his field using a yoke of oxen. Great, so we're probably back, I don't know how many years, but here we go. Anyway, that, he was ploughing his field using the yoke of oxen, two like that. One was a big, 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 big oxen. Ox, you know. Big, big, big. Huge animal. And yoked to him, or to it, was a small book. Big and small. The visitor was amazed. And he could see that the big animal was having to do most of the work. And the little one was just sort of trotting along beside. What was happening here? Farmer said, I'm actually breaking the bullock in and getting him used to being yoked like this. Sometimes a big one like that. And then little one. But what did Jesus say? We're yoked to Jesus. And just as in that story, the big animal was taking most of the strain, so does Jesus. Take my yoke upon you. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, meaning it's well fitting. Think of that picture and learn from me. And that's, that's like it is when we're out doing stuff for Jesus. He's with us. He's taking the strain. Thank God. We can't do it in our own strength. We're like the little book. 
if we were left to ourselves, the plough would go all over the place. Thank God for Jesus. That in whatever situation, in whatever work he calls you to do, whatever we minister to, whatever, Jesus takes the strain. He takes the load. Because his yoke is easy, well-fitting. And his burden is light. So, together, sending with Jesus. And fourthly, I've used the word empowering. What does, what does Jesus say, or what does the, the Mark say about Jesus calling the twelve? Well, to be with him, to send them out to preach, and drive out demons. Hey, that's not the sort of thing that we say today, is it? <laughs> oh, it isn't. It isn't. So, to put that in a slightly broader context, I've, I've used the word empowering, but let's notice this, and this is true, that when someone becomes a disciple of Jesus, he or she is plunged into battle. Now, you may not, and this is worth a debate but not for this morning, <laughs> you may not have many demons to cast out on the way. But who knows? But whatever that means specifically for us in our situation, this is generally what it means. We are plunged into battle. We do not wage war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and authorities in the heavenly realms. We, we forget it, I forget it, you forget it, we ignore it, I ignore it, and what happens? We then wonder when things go belly up because we forget the battle so often that we're in. And when we are called to make disciples, we need to recognise that a new disciple is plunged straight into battle. But thank God there's power in the name of Jesus. Just, just on that first point again, I think that's something we need to warn everybody who's baptised. Because Jesus went from baptism to the wilderness and fought the devil. And so often we give the impression that after baptism everything's going to be hunky-dory. It often isn't. But thank God there's power in the name of Jesus. We're yoked to him. Remember the third point. We're yoked to Jesus. He's with us. And when we say there's power in the name of Jesus, we mean in the total character that Jesus has, there is power. Thank God there is. And we need to understand that power through the Holy Spirit. Actually, if you think back to the songs that we've sung this morning, so much of this has come out in our singing worship. And we need to make sure that disciples are filled with the Spirit. 
But actually, we need to make sure we are. We are. I tell you, recent, very recent experience has told Heather and me it's one thing to sing songs of victory in the body of Christ here, and we, I rejoice in them. I wish I was 20 years younger, you'd find me dancing at the front. I rejoice in them. But out there, it's a battle. It really is. And if we're going to make disciples, we need to be clear about it. There are so many positives, so many blessings, so many good things. We have eternal security. I believe in that. We, we know that Jesus died and forgives our sin and that he, he puts his life within us and, and we've, we've become part of the family of God. We're brothers and sisters together. There's so many pluses. So, so, so many pluses. But there is a battle. There is. So... We want to make disciples. And this, this can be filled out in, in Live, Learn, Love. A lot of this can be filled out more in subsequent weeks. But making disciples who know they're called by Jesus. Security does not, um, does not lie in either our relationships or the church, ultimately. Our security is in God. It's in Jesus. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without blemish with joy into his presence. He's able to do it. You need to have a growing relationship with Jesus. That's what it's about. We trust our relationships will grow and flourish and benefit and all the rest of it. But ultimately, it's with Jesus. Because although things may crumble around around us and things will change, he is the same. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday today and forever. We need to make disciples who know what Jesus has called them to do. Jesus got us a plan and a purpose and a task and a ministry or however you want to put it for us, for you. I don't care how old you are, we're still going. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit of life in the old dog yet. (laughs) And who follow Jesus in the power of the Spirit. That's what we need. We're going to make disciples. This 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 is the minimum of what is necessary. It's the minimum for me and for you. I need to know I'm called. Hi, yeah? (laughs) 
I need to know I'm called. <laughs> Great. That's wonderful. You've been called by Jesus. And his call is effective. No one is able to pluck them out of my father's hand, he said. We need to make sure that our growing, our friendship with Jesus is growing. And that's what we want for disciples. We need to know that we know, everybody knows what they're called to do. And we need the power of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Let's just stand and, and, and just mull that over in our own lives before God. And perhaps the band could come up. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your great love to us. And that you've called us. You've called us into a relationship with you. And that's where it begins. That's where it continues. And that's where it will never end. Thank you, Jesus. We've sung about seeing you face to face. What a what a day that will be. Thank you, Jesus, that you have a plan, a purpose, a task, a ministry, a work for each one of us. Thank you that it is well-fitting because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. It's absolutely tailored to who we are and what you want to make us. Lord, you don't call us to do things that are just no good for us, but you, what you call us to do is best. And we thank you for that. And Lord, if we don't know what we should be doing at the moment, I pray that you'll reveal it to us and that you'll help us and show us. Lord, because we love you and you've done so much for us, we want to do a bit for you. But Lord, we can't do it by ourselves. And I pray in Jesus' name that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit so that whatever battles we face, whatever comes our way, we will know that you've got hold of us and that in the name of Jesus there is victory. Let's, say, let's, let's take that on board, that in the name of Jesus, in the, in the full authority of his person and his power, there is victory. And we thank you for that, Lord. That, that victory is often hard won, but we thank you it's sure and it's certain and it's secure. And we thank you that ultimately the whole universe is going to see that Jesus has won the victory. And we're going to worship you and praise you and serve you forever. So, Lord, please fill us now with your Holy Spirit, even as we worship now, as we sing your praise, just fill us with your, your Spirit, we pray, in Jesus' name. We worship you. We praise you. Bless you, Lord. <laughs>